I forget my, what my first name is, but my technically my persona is a leopard. Mm. Okay. How do I find out my fursona? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta no, feel it out, man. No, I'm curious. Ticket Snubs episode three. Right, we made it to the third one. Oh my uh, god. Today's episode, we will be discussing the master versus the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Andreas versus John Gifford, Giffy Gaffardo. Now, before we get into that, we're going to be discussing Cam's recommendation from last week. Cam, talk a little bit. Okay, so my film from last week was Lost Highway by David Lynch. And personally, I believe that Lost Highway is one of his more understandable films. <laughs> to me, to me. Like, okay. you kind of grasp what's going on early for me. At least I did. So... I really don't know how to talk about it without spoiling anything. No, so. no, we're spoiling it. Yeah, we've all seen it. Okay, yeah. there's spoilers. I would, I would like spoilers because I, I don't know what just happened. Okay, spoiler alerts. So yeah, everything, everything's been spoiled. All right. So I'm going to talk about what the movie was about, and then we'll get what y'all thought about it, what y'all's theories were. So basically, it's about a jazz musician and his wife was his wife yeah his wife that was his wife yeah yeah jazz musician his wife he suspects that she's cheating on him so he kind of murders her but he doesn't really realize it because plot twist he's schizophrenic oh my god what did y'all pick up on that no well there you go i did not. <laughs> so the jazz musician is sent to jail and then, what? He disappears, and the prison guards are like, what? And then, it takes a totally different turn, and now we are looking at a totally different person and a totally different life. It's this young car dude who is cooler than the jazz musician. Debatably. Yeah, I guess. And then, we have his girlfriend who looks exactly like the jazz musician's wife, except with a wig. So in prison, maybe the schizophrenic jazz musician was maybe creating a fantasy for himself as a younger, cooler dude that's out of prison and free with a cooler young wife and a whole bunch of other stuff happens. It's just a lot. It's really hard to talk about. But that's all I've really gathered from it. And then another important part. The jazz musician and the wife. There is like this creepy pale guy who records them and sends it to them. It's really creepy. I hope all that made sense because it was really hard to explain. So yeah, what, what did we think? Um, okay, I think I'll start. All right. Okay. Um, okay, so what I thought of the film, I thought it was... A very well acted, very well shot, and well like technically speaking, the film is great, completely. Right. But the, the plot, soundtrack, the soundtrack, soundtrack was great too. The the music oh, was the great soundtrack. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Despite the scene where he's playing the saxophone, and I got a little bit of an epileptic, you know, episode. I had a seizure. <laughs> I'm not epileptic, but like I just I felt like I was suffering when I when I watched that scene, but. Overall, yeah. I thought that the, the production design and the production in general was very, very sound, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the plot lost me completely. Like it was very it was pretty straightforward. Like I was 
I was like, okay, this is David Lynch, you know, mm-hmm. for the first like forty ish minutes. Yeah. And then once um what's his name? I forgot his name. Uh the 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 car dude comes Fred. in. Oh no. Yeah, the yeah, car once dude. Once Fred transforms into the <laughs> car dude. Oh, Fred. He's there as Pete. Pete, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, so once Fred transforms into Pete, I was lost. I was like, who is this guy? And then once Patricia Arquette's character came in, I think she was Alice at that point, I was like what did she die or did she not die? Uh, who is that guy in in like the suit who is running people off the cliffs? You know. Yeah. Who, who is okay. what's happening? And then at the end, Pete transforms back into Fred. Back into Fred. And then he kills and then the the bad off. guy. Yeah, with with the help of the pale man who's just, uh-huh. I don't know with his camera. And then something happens with Patricia Arquette in the cabin. I don't know what happens. And he drives yeah. off to his house. Leaves a message, the message that we heard in the beginning of the film, and then mm-hmm. drives off, and then the credits end. Here's what I think. I think either, yeah, okay, so the schizophrenic jazz musician, he did create a fantasy of himself as a younger dude, and then when he turns back into Fred in the ending, maybe he escaped prison, because it comes back full circle. Maybe he escaped prison. Who knows? Hmm. But then how does he hear the message? See, that's where I'd get lost again. And that's the beauty of what David if, Lynch. What, okay, what if in the beginning, the message, it, what, there was never a message. It was all like a schizophrenic, you know, auditory yeah, situation. Maybe it was a dream. Who yeah, knows? And then at the end, oh. he completes that dream, like like a prophecy of sorts. There you go. Wow. It's beautiful. Um, What's your thoughts, John? Okay, so for the first half hour, I hated it. So much. <laughs> it was about a half job. hour. I was like, I "Hate this!" When they started receiving the videotapes, the lights, something. I haven't seen it in like a few weeks, so or a week, whatever it was. I don't remember exactly what she said, but it took me super off guard, and I was like, "That's really stupid." Like she came up with some kind of excuse as to where the tapes were coming from, and I was like, "That's really dumb." <laughs> some kind of real realtor or something. Really? Because the well, tape real estate thing. Yeah. Um, can I? Can I? Can I um, add on to something that John just said? Yeah. The tapes. When the first, when she first takes the tape, and he's like, "Where'd you get it? What, what is that?" And she just looks at him and is like, "Tape." <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that that is funny. I found I found her reaction to the tape very unrealistic. Um, yeah, she didn't seem too freaked out about it. Not at all. Um, it freaked me out. The tape parts they honestly creep me out a lot. Reminded me a lot of cachet. If you guys have ever seen that, I have um, not. But I want to get to I want to get to Michael Haneke's work very much. And that boy. Oh, I know the plot though. I know the the general gist. I haven't seen it though, but I I understand where you're coming from with that. But uh, when, as soon as the uh, the scene where the mysterious man at the party, which I think is one of the most unsettling scenes ever in the film, I thought it was fantastic. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Walks up to him and he's like, I'm at your house right now, kind of thing. That was scary. That was brilliant. I was so intrigued from, there, from that point on. Now, I pictured the man as Fred's jealousy and anger that is introduced as an almost unhuman-like kind of haunting man that's haunting him even in his dreams. Like, he sees him in, as his wife's face when they're oh, in bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> I remember that. Um, that scene feel, was kind of funny. Yes, and, and I think Fred mainly encaptures his anger in this man because of his sexual frustration with his wife. Like when they're in bed together, he finishes too early, so she kind of like packs him on the back like he's a little boy, and she's like, <laughs> "Yeah." And I love how Lynch leads us to believe that 
has been framed by the mysterious man for killing his wife, but in reality, it was him. And it, it was, was him. Him. yeah. As if to make the more the film even more confusing, the storyline completely shifts. Like talking about to the character Pete, different kind of environment, different scenario. His love interest is very similar, like we also discussed, and much much like Fred probably enjoyed in his mind, considering this is his fantasy. I enjoyed this half of the film a lot more than the first. When detectives are shuffling through his house and they're looking for hints as to who sent the tapes, and they ask him if he owns a video camera, and he's like, "Oh, I enjoy seeing things how I want to see them." basically directly just says the second half of the movie is a fantasy in his mind. He's seeing his yeah. wife to see it. He's a much cooler, younger kid, hanging out with this gangster kind of guy. That's why his wife is literally the same, just with a different haircut. That's why they have sex all the time, because now he can finally sexually satisfy his wife. Yeah. In this- oh. Um, yep, yep. He's getting um, it. Like, He's getting yeah, it. Yeah. Towards the end of the movie, when they have sex in front of the cabin, and he finishes too early, and she's like... That scene was crazy. You'll never have me. That's what she says. That, that, he turns back that into Fred. Now his fantasy has been completely erased, because he yet again can't even sexually satisfy his fake wife. And yep. that's what the creepy-looking boy comes out of the cabin and starts chasing him, because now he's being chased down by his jealousy and self-hatred once more. That scene was so scary. It scared me That's so bad. In death row. He's on death row the whole time. And I think him running from the police and just screaming at the car and contorting into that weird looking thing is just him dying. Maybe. Um, yeah, and while I was watching the movie, my friend texted me, asked what I was watching. And I told her it was Lost Highway. And she was like, oh, I've never seen it before. Is it any good? And I told her I had no clue how to assign a numerical value to it. And then it ended. And I told her that I've assigned a number and I gave it a 10 out of 10. And thanks for recommending it to me because I loved it. You're um, welcome. I'm fantastic. doing God's work. <laughs> now that I know that the Romstein, I think that's incredible. Um, yeah, the soundtrack was great. The beginning uh, um, with uh, the David Bowie song, perfect. Yeah. Chef's Kiss. Uh, Marilyn Manson in there too. So no wonder yeah. Cam likes it. No, that's a good song. Hey, that's a and fair reason to like something. It's literally I'm- called I'm Deranged, and the whole movie is just deranged. So it gets mm-hmm. just strapped in for a crazy film. Yeah, it's well, everything I I thought the film was very, like, surface value, where I thought everything was happening for real. So I didn't really pick up on the whole Fred becoming or going into his subconscious. Oh, okay. I literally did not pick up on any of this metaphor. I literally was like, (laughs) they're having sex in the desert. (laughs) Yeah, that happened nonstop, really. Well, I'm glad y'all liked it. Wait, what did PJ think? Yeah, PJ, what'd you think? I'm a, I'm I'm still processing. <laughs> True, it took it. I was thinking about it for like weeks. So, for uh, yeah, for context for our uh, dear listeners, I literally finished watching it five minutes before we started w- recording. True, and I really, I, um, I mean, I thought it was. I the soundtrack was definitely the the best part of it for me. Huh. I- he liked when Ed um, goes, fucking gets more pussy than a toilet seat. That was funny. <laughs> that was a great line. I'm trying to think of other things. I like it more than Mulholland Drive, which is kind that. of crazy to hear, but I don't know. I just connected with it more than I did Mulholland Drive, even though they're both great. Divided on this movie. Like, even if you look at the critical ratings, like... I mean, don't trust Rotten Tomatoes, but it has like a 59 or something. I know. I think it's really underrated. Like one of his most underrated films. Mm. I liked it a lot. I think because I was very like, I didn't really pick up on 
a lot of the metaphors and the symbolism within the movie, I think I had a harder time enjoying it. But the dialogue, like when Mr. Eddie, it's like very comedic at times, definitely. Because like, especially when Mr. Eddie's like, do you you like pornos? (laughs) That was so random. And he's like, do do they give you a boner? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, no, but he's like, well, so you're so like, uh, I just, I'm just thinking about the dialogue. Oh my god! I think that yeah. the film can also be seen as a self-insert for David Lynch because I remember reading somewhere that David Lynch has the same philosophy on video cameras that Fred Madison does, where he doesn't like to record things and see them how they actually are, and he likes to remember them how he remembers them. Yeah. So maybe it's David Lynch kind of like manifesting his own insecurity into becoming a, a, like a giga chad yeah we'll get into that later in our other argument about the two movies because i have some oh about- yeah 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 uh, i'm not gonna lie when he said that i i started i kept notes for like the first half hour when he said that line i cringed i dj made popcorn in the middle of his movie wait, which I, I i was like you know what i need something to keep me down which and line? the popcorn kept me down <laughs> the I like to remember things my own way. I was like, oh my god, this guy. The oh, line, yeah. yeah. Well, that's David Lynch for you. He's very, very pretentious guy. Yeah. I don't think David Lynch is my type. I. Yeah, I don't think David Lynch is my type of movie. Y'all are breaking my heart. I I love this sure velvet. I, but, uh, I, like I can. I not. It. Yeah. It's just, it's just not for me. It's just. Uh, it's just not for me. Understandable. for him. Do what? But respect to him. Yes, yeah. respect. Yeah, I I agree with David Lynch fully on the phone on on his stance on telephones. Oh yeah. What was that? Because David Lynch has been quoted as saying, "You will never in a billion years watch a film if you watch it on a fucking telephone." Oh, <laughs> get real. True. Well, John, I'm I'm glad John liked it. Thank you, John. <laughs> no problem, Cam. <laughs> okay. I, I I think David Lynch is fantastic. I was rather new. Especially when you recommended me this, I just want to watch more. There you go. Watch Blue Velvet next. Yes, That's it's my on favorite. Amazon Prime. Yeah, I think I've already watched it. I, I, told, I texted you. As soon oh as yeah, I, yeah, you did. You did. I watched. Yeah, I forgot about that. I also love uh, the little silver earrings, by the way. They're oh cool. yeah, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's Lost Highway. Everyone go check it out. Let me know what y'all think of it. So thank you. All right, so that was the discussion on Cam's recommendation, Lost Highway by David Lynch. What did you think? Do you agree with Cam and John? Or were you as lost as I was? Uh, Let us know. Leave your comments. uh, Email me. Check out my LinkedIn. Uh, Just let me know, please. I'm begging. Let know. me know also. Oh, yeah, you should probably tell you this was Cam's recommendation. I was so, yeah. the recommender. We'll, we'll drop our letterboxes <laughs> down in the description. Yep. Um, but with that out of the way, it is now time. It is now time for the debate. We're going to be talking about The Master, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, defended by Andres. Hello. Up against Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by someone. Um, <laughs> Michel Gondry. Yep, I'm not going to try to pronounce that name. It's French. It's um, hard. <sighs> it's okay. By John Gifford Giffy Gifford, Now, the categories we'll be using, we'll be using the same categories as normal. Plot slash characters, then acting, then technical. Today's custom category will be the emotional impact in it being both being existential crises. 
And then finally, the impact on the film industry as a whole. Now, Cam, Rayma, and I will be the moderators for today. Who would like to start our discussion on plot slash characters for these movies? Well, since John went first in the first episode, I think it'd only be fair if I go first here. Oh, this is your first time debating. This is my first time, yes. It's the first time on the floor. Yeah, You're going to get slandered. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very afraid. So, John, go easy on me. Um, I, I, I supported you for Evil Dead 2, so maybe that'll mean something. I would like it if we just stopped talking about Evil Dead 2. Personally, I'm never gonna stop talking about that movie. Amen, brother. All right, so section one: plot and characters. For the master. For the master. Uh All right. So the general plot of the master surrounds this former World War II veteran named Freddie Quell, played by Joaquin Phoenix, and he's this alcoholic, just general deviant in society. the Joker. Yeah, he's he's basically like a more toned down it's version of Arthur Fleck. Yeah, but so the inciting incident is that he one night after he accidentally poisons the guy or intentionally, it's up to interpretation, whatever. He stumbles upon this ship owned by Lancaster Dodd or the Master, who is the leader of this religion cult movement known as the Cause, which is essentially focused on remembering past lives throughout the entirety of time. And with that, he basically becomes enveloped in the cause and this crazy, crazy world surrounding Lancaster Dodd. And with the characters, of course, you have the three titular or main characters being uh, Freddie Quell, played by Joaquin Phoenix, Lancaster Dodd, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace, and Peggy Dodd, his wife, played by Amy Adams. And I'm, I'm just telling you, these characters are fantastic, each and every single one of them. They're all complex in their own ways. Joaquin Phoenix is this, he gives so much life to Freddie Quell, and Freddie himself as a character on the page is very complex because he's not exactly, he, he means well, but also he has a temper, right? So he's also extremely self-destructive in a way where he can't go on by himself. So that's why he really wants to be part of the cause because it gives him a reason to do what he does, which is drink and pick fights. <laughs> right. And then you also have Lancaster Dodd himself, who is, when you first see him, he's like this very charismatic, very easygoing, uh, L. Ron Hubbard type guy, which, which is the inf- inspiration for the character, L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology. But as you go through the film, you, fear, you realize that he doesn't know what he's doing. Because there's a great scene with him and Laura Dern, where Laura Dern sits him down and asks him, why did you change this thing in the cause handbook? And he just flips his shit. He's like... That was Laura Dern. That yeah. part made me angry. I said, you better stop yelling at Laura Dern. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, oh my I, God, I couldn't think of who that was. Thank you. Bruh. Yeah. And I thought that scene was fantastic because it shows that he puts up a big front, a big persona for, you know, the cameras or the press junkets or whatever. But deep down, when you actually pinpoint certain things about the cause, he can't back himself up because he really doesn't know anything. He, everything he does, he's making up as he goes along. Same thing with the party scene where the guy like really pushes in at him like, oh, how does this cure leukemia? How exactly does this do this? And how are you exactly remembering past lives? And again, Lancaster flips his shit at this guy. And even Freddy's goes out of his way to beat the shit out of him for questioning the cause yeah which also goes into his character of this follower of someone Mm -hmm. who needs to 
needs to be a follower, who needs a master to follow, because by himself, he saw when he was working at the mall, he's not a very productive member of society. He is constantly drinking. He's constantly picking fights. He's constantly hooking up with women. And he's generally just being this extremely self-destructive guy because that's all he knew. Especially like when you look at the fact that he's a veteran, which is very important to his character. Because in the army, it's very much like you're following a leader. But now without that in society, he doesn't have that anymore. So what does he do? He goes back to drinking. He goes back to being a miscreant. And that's until he finds Lancaster Dodd, who gives him that push, that guidance, or that he fills in the role of that master that he needs. So that's all I got for plot and characters. I have a question about certain characters. Mm -hmm. Um, A character that stuck out most to me was Amy Adams. Because I love Amy Adams. And I I I thought her character was very sweet. And then we, the bathroom scene. Um, I think we need to discuss that. Oh, yes. I was yes. confused. That part made me, like, I, I skipped it because I hated every second of it. Yeah. Well, did she actually gain weight for the movie? Yes, she did. But, okay, so uh, not the bathroom scene with her and Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? That's, that's the scene we're talking about? Yeah. Yep. So I think that scene serves a purpose because it shows that she views Freddie and Lancaster, like, what they're doing in terms of, like, the drinking... And it's very implied that Lancaster had an affair with Laura Dern's character. So I think it's showing mm. that Peggy, Amy Adams' character, knows about this and that she's treating him as an animal by, by masturbating him and essentially making her sexually dominating him in order to impose a certain dominance. Wasn't that her dad, though? Who? Philip Seymour no, Hoffman. No, no, no. They were, they were married. Wait... No, it's that Amy Adams and Rami no, 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 Malek no, no, no. were married. No, 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 yes. no, no, that, no, yes. no, that was that was Amy Adams. No, okay, so <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's character has had multiple wives, as it said in the mm-hmm. film. So that's why the there's a big age disparity. That's why Amy Adams' character is much younger than, or she seems to be much younger than Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, and about a little bit older than his children, who are adults. I but, thought that Amy Adams. Was Philip Seymour Hoffman's daughter. And that's a different character. Oh. No, it was not. Yeah, it was. I have to go back and watch that scene, mm-hmm. even though I don't want to. <laughs> you know? No, but I do I do see the point of the scene because it's not gratuitous. It's not gratuitous in any way. It shows that Peggy is resorting to the same animalistic tactics that Lancaster and Freddie indulge themselves into when no one's looking, as saying that, look, if you play by these rules, I'll play by the rules too. But I'm going to make sure that no one finds out because this cause means too much to me. I literally thought that was Amy Adams. Like, I just keep thinking mm-hmm. about it now. All right. Well, good answer. Any, any John, other questions about the plot and character of the master? I have none. None? Okay, cool. Thank I you. Am. Wait, 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 wait. Did we, wait, did someone just say that Amy Adams wasn't the one who was drinking off the Philip? No, okay, so what happened is that... I thought that was her! No, that was her. It was! That was Amy Adams, but Amy Adams played his wife. No, because Amy Adams got married to Rami Malek. No, that was a different character. That was a different actor. No, it wasn't! Yeah, No, yeah, in that scene. (laughs) Watch the scene. No, 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 it both of... It was so Amy Adams was pregnant and she was with um 
she it was she remember in the beginning she was like a something number wife because all the other ones like yeah she said like yeah she was like all the other ones speak or like leave or something i don't really remember but rami malik gets married to uh, i thought his, he his got daughter yeah oh my god why don't i remember this movie i watched it like two days ago i'm sorry y'all it's okay oh wait yeah you are right i'm watching the scene right now yeah she's sitting on the on the on the the chairs yeah and phyllis seymour hoffman is husband and wife Mm -hmm. so it's not it's it's weird but not for the reason you think it is yeah, I don't know why I thought that she was his daughter. I apologize. It's okay. No, it's, it's, that's what that's the beauty of film. It's all up to interpretation. Very true. John, it's your turn. Okay. So, uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is directed by uh, Michael Gonnery or whatever his name is. Gonnery. Michelle Gonnery. Gonnery. Yeah. Gonorrhea. Gonorrhea. Yeah, I literally thought he said Gonnery. No, Gonnery. Sorry. You again? It stars Jim Carrey, Kate Winslet. It is a love story unlike any other. So I'm basically just going to go through like how the plot kind of reveals itself in a sense and what it means, if that's okay. Yeah. You do that. That's plot and characters. <laughs> so <laughs> film begins making you feel very disoriented, much like Joel himself, because you're not really sure of what's going on. We're shown many snippets of the relationship without knowing their time frame or their impact on the story. Soon after this, we're introduced to Clementine, the same time that Joel is introduced to her, or so we think until we realize that they've in fact met before. It's after this that we begin to see their story in reverse. It's such a new and original, exciting way to tell a love story. I love it so much. Um, the screenplay and the way the story is told is just as fragmented as Joel on purpose, supposed to make you feel what's going on there. Charlie Kaufman, who wrote the movie, is Joel off himself and his own personal input on how he views relationships. I think is great. See, at the end of the film, we've experienced one giant loop. Now we understand how the new information that we're, that's revealed to us fits into the older ones. Many people in their everyday lives do things in relationships that makes them feel as if they want to click a reset button. But Sunshine explores that idea by showing us two characters who are destined to restart their relationship over and over. It's a never-ending cycle of two people be together, but they know they aren't right for each other. And it all eventually just ends. Um, Sunshine explores the theory of predestination as if we all have a set path. We as the audience understand that if this is indeed a time loop, Clementine's impulsiveness throughout the story will in fact lead her to get the procedure done over and over. So it's just one giant loop. If we do analyze the quote that's prominent in the movie, which is how happy how happy is the blameless vessels lot, the world forgetting by the world forgot, eternal sunshine, spotless mind, each prayer accepted, each wish resigned. The phrase, how happy is the blameless vessel's lot, Joel and Clementine are both blameless vessels that are happy because the mind is happiest when it first finds things that are spotless or new, exciting, much like the beginning of a relationship. The eternal sunshine in the quote alludes to eternal happiness that one can only find in something that is spotless. Kaufman proves that the only time we are truly happy is in new love. And if new love is the only thing that maintains happiness, isn't it only noble that the world be forgotten in the process? I just love that. And I describes the plot in a nutshell that's really my, my plot and characters do you want to explain the characters more like clementine because yeah, sure. i think she has a lot to talk about uh so clementine is very impulsive um she's very outgoing she kind of does things as they feel necessary to her for instance like when she gets the procedure first done she's instantly on to another man's a hobbit um how do i like explain this she's dating this guy 
who is basically Frodo. Hey, yeah. yeah, he's a hobbit. Um, she's stolen. He has stolen uh, things from Joel's procedure, so he can copy the relationship that he had with Clementine. Because he, in in his own way, cannot live up to what that was. So even when they're on the ice together, he mentions a line that Joel said, and that makes Clementine for a brief moment out of the procedure and like the work that's been done and she's like oh wait a second i've heard this before and then she's like i want to go home it starts another clementine spiral from there so very pushy when they meet each other on the train constantly sits next to him she starts talking to him he obviously doesn't want anything to do with it yet she keeps pushing him it's pretty cool joel is very uh also really focuses on himself more than anybody else he really just is kind of searching for the answers of what makes somebody happy he often will look at girls and just imagine himself with them, even though he can't. Um, he even states that he yeah, falls in love with every girl that he looks at. He draws all these things in his sketchbook of what he wishes his relationships were like and everything like that. But when he is finally in the relationship that he's always wanted to be in, he's not exactly happy. Even when they go get food at the Chinese food place, he's like, I don't want to be one of those couples that eats at the same place all the time. But yet there they are sitting at the Chinese food place again. But I mean, Joel is not going to do anything about that. He's not one to voice his opinion. And when he does, it ends in a giant argument from Clementine, blaming her that she's sleeping with other people. Yeah, I guess that would be it for my class. Any more questions for John? Um, hold on. Let's think about how I want to formulate this, the plot. Oh, yeah. John, can you can you speak more on the like, I don't know if I want to call it sci-fi necessarily but yeah just like the memory wiping procedure okay. yeah sorry it's a really interesting aspect so joel's friends basically they they realize that he's upset so he's like look i'm not his friends like i'm not supposed to show you this but look at this he looks at a card and it says clementine krasinski has erased joel barrett from her mind so he's like okay that's kind of weird he goes to the place that gets this procedure done and he decides that he wants to the procedure done himself because it's it's a place that's made to help you erase memories of things that you want to forget there's someone sitting there with the belongings of a dog that passed away like because they're sad and they they want to go leave their sadness so might as well just get rid of the thought but uh yeah so he gets the procedure done and the rest of the movie is him basically falling in love with her again as his memories are getting erased it's really good all right any more questions for john with that, we're are we. If there's nothing else left to be said by John or Andreas, we're ready to move into acting. Um, I, I wanted to say one more thing. You want to say? I think. To, oh yeah, the sand. The sand person has a purpose. The sand person has a purpose. Yeah. So a really? lot of you guys were were very confused when you saw Walking Phoenix humping a sand person in the beginning. I thought that was just the boys being boys. Yeah. It could, it, on the surface, yes, that can just be seen as the boys being boys, but. On a deeper level, it shows the sexual deprivation that Freddie Quill goes through and also kind of like how he directs his masculinity. And it also contrasts with how Lancaster Dodd portrays his masculinity because he uses his masculinity in a very charismatic way in a, in a much like a, a fatherly way, right? Instead of the more bachelor way of, of Freddie Quill. So I see that as a very great dichotomy that makes the pairing between... Lancaster Dodd and Freddie Quill much more interesting and much more complex because they're they both have that same machismo but channeled in very different ways and to varying successes. So that's why Joaquin Phoenix humps a sand person in the first fifteen minutes of the film. 
Nice. All right. Thank you for that much needed clarification. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I think we're ready to move into acting. Um, since Andreas started us off, I think uh, John should get the floor. Acting in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Let's hear it. Okay. Um, I believe that Jim Carrey's performance in Eternal Sunshine is his best next to Truman Show. Both are very mm. roles, um, <laughs> especially in Eternal Sunshine. Like He is playing this extremely basically just depressed dive into how it feels to be in a relationship and he portrays it perfectly and yet he's still able to showcase what made him famous in the first place which was his quirky hilarious facial expressions and body acting that's mainly prominent when it's the little joel scene where he's under the table wanting cookies and trying to oh i love that scene i I hate that scene i I love it i I love it because it's zero cgi i hate it wait there's no cgi Mm -mm. no practical camera work Interesting. It's the same technique they use in Lord of the Rings to make the Hobbit rooms. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, Continue. <laughs> yeah, and, and there is no not one moment in the film where Clementine and Joel's relationship is not believable. They have fantastic chemistry together. I love every second of it. Even, I mean, uh, I can't really say that child actors are really good in it because, like, Child actors are never really good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Once featured in here, did a, did a fine job. Yeah, I think everybody all around just did fantastic. It's even not even just talking about Joel and Clementine. We get Mark Ruffalo, Kirsten Dunst, uh, whoever the old man doctor is that's in like everything, and I always forget his name. Um, <laughs> fantastic. You buy their relationship a lot too. Um, Elijah Wood is the typical pretentious douchebag that I feel like he is in real life, so I think he did great. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Elijah Wood, if you're hearing this. Yeah. <laughs> Elijah Wood listening to tickets. That's exactly how he would be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I love it. Can yeah. you speak more on Kate Winslet? Yeah. Um, she portrays Clementine as perfectly as you can. I think she's superbly cast for the role. She's also very versatile. There are many moments where she is screaming because she's crying at Elijah Wood being a pretentious douchebag. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Um, there's moments where she's aiming with joy when she's with Joel, especially the scene where it's it's raining in the room and then it goes to their childhood flashback. That's fantastic. You can really see the decline of the relationship told by everyone's performance, especially hers. All right. Okay, so, so it's my yes. turn to go into acting. Yes, yes. Uh, okay, so I'm going to quote John in something he said before we started recording. He said, the master is acting the movie. And I cannot agree more. I, I understand that 2012 was a very tough year when it came to the acting nominations, but if Daniel Day-Lewis did not play Lincoln that year, I know for sure Joaquin Phoenix would have won for Freddie. Oh, Paul. yeah. Because he, he gives so much energy, and it's something that Joaquin Phoenix is known for. Like, he really throws himself into that character. You, like, whenever he's, like, getting into a scrap with somebody or... He's just going off the rails during the scenes with the processing, which I'll get to later. But Joaquin throws himself both physically and emotionally into this role. Like he feels so many emotions. Like he is crying, he is manically laughing. Like PJ said, laughing at inappropriate times. <laughs> it's very, Joker. it's very, yeah. It's like the Joker, but the master is the Joker. Yeah, it's like his Joker character, but done in a ve- in a much more competently directed way. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, I definitely saw that on the screen. I was like, this is just Joker. 
except with the religious cult. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh my god, how did he not win an Oscar for that role? He was fantastic as Lancaster Dodd, because you really yeah. you, like you fall for it too. You get to you get into this cause, this whole sensation with the cause. You because he's so charismatic. He's he's just a very chill. He seems as a very chill guy in the beginning, but you know, as I said before, you start to peel back those layers, and he's just this guy who does not want to pay taxes and starts his own religion deep down. Oh, just I like do because there are people like Lancaster Dodd in the real world. L. Ron Hubbard is a perfect example. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, it can be argued the extent that. Paul Thomas Anderson took from Scientology and its history into the master, but it can't be denied that Lancaster does a very realistic character who uses his charisma to really get ahead. And then when people question his own charismatic ways or the ways that he's preaching, even though he doesn't really know what he's preaching, he, he clearly loses his calm. Yeah, he loses his calm at those people. And and Freddie is almost like a lapdog to him, you know? Yeah. Where whenever he loses his cool, Freddie's there to execute on it. Except for um, the prison scene where they both lose their cool. Oh, the prison scene? That was fantastic. That was a fantastic yeah, bit of acting. Nice. Because it's all done in like one setup, only like two cameras. Yeah. And you just see these two actors acting, which I love. Not a lot of movies do that anymore where they just cut up everything. You just see these two guys, these two pros at the top of their game just going at it. And I love that. And Amy Adams is fantastic in her role, however small it may be. She very much portrays this this sort of like... It's, it's implied that she's not truly in love with Lancaster Dodd because, you know, she's always she's just kind of like pushing him around to be more forthcoming with the cause. Even when he he as a fault of his own charismatic ways doesn't defend himself or his or what he believes in. So I thought she did a very good job of being that kind of put that push for Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. But the crowning jewel of this movie that I have to talk about is the processing scene about thirty minutes into the movie? That is, I was really, I was really yeah. drawn into those scenes. That, the processing that's scene. That's like a fifteen-minute scene that feels like two minutes. Where, where Joaquin Phoenix is like, I don't know, I don't know. That scene. <laughs> yes, that scene is fantastic <laughs> because again, yeah. it's one setup, just two cameras, and you just watch Joaquin Phoenix and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Just you watch him answer these questions, and I love. Oh, oh that! Oh, I, yeah. I love. How he starts off with Philip Seymour asks him if he killed anybody. He says no, and then as he keeps pushing more and more, he he you see that Joaquin starts to you know he portrays that breaking feeling, that feeling of breaking under pressure so well, and especially when he gets to admit that he you know he committed incest in his past and that he has uh, nasty yeah, and, and that he has a girl back home that he had he basically abandoned, and all his regrets start to surface. That's really where you get to see that Freddy has become in the palm of Lancaster Dodd's cause because I don't I don't really I can't really speak from experiences I haven't been audited by the Church of Scientology but I can imagine that having someone completely wreck you psychologically without you even knowing is something that gets you to believe in something. Mm-hmm. So that's all, all I have to say for acting. Oh, also uh, Laura Dern's character was great for what uh, little screen time she had. Yes. Hi. Comment. Oh yeah, yeah, go for it. I would I would like to hold Amy Adams' hand. Amy <laughs> Adams is an Academy Award ASAP. We are gonna get her an Oscar one day. God, I'm just uh, how no is she not one yet? We no will get Amy it. Adams the Oscar for the Muppets three. Do not worry, guys. Amen. She will get it. Let me kick PJ out, please. 
You know what? <laughs> I, I can kick you out. I can kick you out. I'm with PJ. I love the Muppets. Yeah, yeah. Muppet, I, I I love the first one, but the second one I haven't seen. So okay, no, the, the, second the second one. We don't talk about the second one. The okay. second one very forgettable. Okay, but that's all I have for acting. I thought that the three principal characters of Joaquin Phoenix, Phil Seymour Hoffman, and Amy Adams did a fantastic job of what they were given, and especially with Paul Thomas Anderson, who who is known for giving such fantastic performances out of actors that you. That even you don't expect from like Adam Sandler gave a great performance in Punch Drunk Love under his direction. So it's good to see that what Paul Thomas Anderson can do with masters of their craft, you know, not pun in, unintended, uh, <laughs> like Joaquin, Philip, and Amy. So that's all I have for acting. And Laura Dern. And Laura Dern. I, um, I say like one more thing. The this doesn't really help me at all. I just want to say because you made me think about it. Um, I think Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet perfectly portray a couple in a super long relationship where they're kind of semi tired of each other, but they still want to keep going on. Like, like I said before, eating at the same restaurant, being tired of that, just doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And that's testament to like, not only the talent, but the fact that they spend so much time together for the filming. So I I really appreciate the dedication they put into, into forming. Maybe they were dating secretly. Who knows? So is it technical time? I think it's technical time. Time. Who's first? Mm. I think I'm first because yeah, keep going back and forth. So oh, okay, all right. So I'm gonna start by saying that technically speaking, both films do different things very well. So with Eternal Sunshine, I think that the creativity in the filmmaking is second to none, personally. But I also think that's sort of a road that's paved by the screenplay because of how creative and how fantastic it is. But with The Master, I think that it takes these tenets of filmmaking, like cinematography, score, production design, and just really shows you what a fantastic looking film can be. My main focus is the cinematography with this because the film is not only colorful, but it has excellent use of focus. Pretty much every scene has this fantastic depth of field effect around it, which really sucks you into that world. It, it kind of puts it to the head of Freddy Quell himself because he doesn't really care about the world around him. He only cares about what he's seeing with his own two eyes. You know, he's only, he only cares about the cause and booze and humping sand people. And also, <laughs> yeah, which also comes into play with the, the scene where they're, where they're dancing in the house and they become naked all of a sudden. Okay, that scene I, reminded me of, like, Hereditary. First well, time. Well, the first, the first time know? I saw it, I thought it was for real. I thought it was a surface value. But the third time I yeah. watched it, I kind of saw it as Freddy's own imagination because he's so bored by watching these people dance that he's not even... He's, he's a loner. He doesn't really like to Wait, engage. Wait, so it was... So it was a dream? Well, I see it as a dream. Like that's a that's fantasy? my interpretation. Like, oh. that's just like, so a guy so bored and, you know, a loner who doesn't want to engage in that kind of social function, why wouldn't he you know, picture everyone naked? Yeah. I thought it was really happening. So, I mean, it could go both ways. So, huh. Yeah, but also, if you notice, the men aren't naked. So, I, I that's, that's kind of where I come from it. Yeah. That but, makes sense. Yeah, the film is absolutely beautiful to look at. It's colorful. It's shot. I know that the film they used was, wasn't tampered as much as in most films, so it's at a higher resolution. And also the score by Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. The he, score was very good. He basically takes what he did in There Will Be Blood and amplifies it because it's this very bassy, very droning score that puts you into this very repetitive nature of the cause because the cause is a very tradition-driven where they do things by the book or by the word of Lancaster Dodd. So I thought that kind of uniform score really helped with the, the film's atmosphere. Hmm. Any questions 
for the master technical. No. No. Okay. okay, moving on to John with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind technical. Yeah. <laughs> um, Go. Okay, I, I think the musical score is excellent. Uh, combines beautiful, quirky clarinet with a whole different combination of instruments. Each track in Eternal Sunshine has its own meaning and style. Like Clementine has her own little theme, so does Joel. There's a theme where they're both like doing stuff, theme where they're all sad, stuff like that. Cinematography superb. No one can deny that the shot of the two lying on the ice is one of the most memorable shots mm -hmm. in cinema. Much mm -hmm. like the shot from the master of Joaquin Phoenix on top of the boat lying down. That's also one of the best shots I think in movie history. The film also has one of the most impressive, not just one of them, all of the, all of the scene transitions are incredible, especially the one of him walking from the library into the uh, the doorway. Oh my god. Oh yes. Transition yeah. so much. And how it's done with no editing pretty much. Yeah, it's so good. But even the editing is like they have to combine all of these different elements of the relationship into one kind of semi-montage and it works beautifully some of the camera work is absolutely seamless especially the scene where joel is chasing clementine through the streets and keeps ending up in the same section it's fantastic uh let's see what else i was gonna do and then during basically said what i was gonna say about how the screenplay's creativity just feeds into all the phenomenal staging and directing so many so many memorable scenes even them in the bathtub it just it all looks not a bit the sink. It just it all looks fantastic. I have a question about the camera work. I think I read like wasn't all the camera work done by like a music video director or something? Yeah, Michel Gondry, he started off with music videos and like stop motion animation. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he cool. um, he also made a show which I love dearly called Moral Oral. If any of you've watched that, um it was What's it called? Moral Oral. He made Moral Oral? Yes, and Charlie oh. and also wrote some of Moral Oral. If any of you have ever watched that show, it's great. It's a stop motion show. Each episode is about eight minutes long. It's on Hulu, and it's just a little kid going to church every Sunday and taking a lesson from God completely wrong and being a bad kid, and it's very I, funny. Uh, I didn't know that. That was the same it, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, it got banned from Adult Swim because there's a teddy bear coming on a girl, and it's crazy. But it's just... Yeah, it's a fun one. I like it a lot. Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's a good show. That is a good show. Yeah he, also, yeah, he also helped direct Anomalisa, which is another Charlie Kaufman screenplay. He, he like, gave a lot of feedback to the screenplay. And who directed Anomalisa? Charlie Kaufman himself, I think. Okay, cool. So, he, yeah, they, I know they worked on it together. I might have got the roles reversed where uh, Michael Gondry helped with the screenplay and Charlie Kaufman directed it. But they both invested like, a lot of time into it. But, yeah. Anyways, that's technical for... Are we the going into and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? So next category, I forgot what was emotional the impact. Okay, John, emotional impact slash existential, existential. I can't. So we're y'all had an exponential crisis. Now we're talking about the exponential crisis and then impact next. Exponential. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about like the existential crisis slash emotional impact of the film. Uh, I meant to say ex. ex so, so impacted after existential. Existential. No, no, existential right now and then impact. And then like the overall impact, like on the film industry. So right now I'm only talking existential. Yeah. Yes. Like how the movie makes you feel. Okay. Sad. 
Yeah. So every time I rewatch Eternal Sunshine, I notice a different layer to the story, which is a sign of a perfect film, one you can appreciate over and over and notice something new every time you slide the disc into the DVD player. The film impacts how many people feel about love. It can either change or solidify your opinion on the matter. For me, it's solidified it. Uh, love is just opening yourself up for sadness and disappointment. So what's the point other than a few moments of happiness? But, you know. Oh, period. That's one yeah. way to look at it. <laughs> it's my um, way. No, that's what I love about the movie, too, because you can look at it in like a very oh optimistic or pessimistic way. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> don't say it. No. What? John, you can you can do so much more than that. I know you can. You love this movie. It's your favorite movie, right? Yeah. Then you can. I know you can talk about it, man. All right. Any questions for John? I have a question. John, I have a question. I have a question. Oh, okay, go. John, if this movie's about love, why didn't it help me get a girlfriend? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, there are other well, factors besides the movie that that played into that. Yeah, PJ, like wearing a minion shirt. Okay. <laughs> you have a minion shirt. Bud. It's an inside joke. Oh, okay. Remember, you're okay. not. You can't talk. You can't talk. Um, I agree with PJ. Um, I I really want a boyfriend. So yeah, y'all hit me up. Tell me, where's my where's my girlfriend? Yeah, I watched the movie. Now I have no it. comment on this. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> okay, Andreas, did you have a question? I did have John? a question. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Okay, oh my god! Okay, what is it? All right, my question was that: How do you view the like the impact of cycles in the movie? Because we see that um, everything is kind of a cycle of love in a way. So with Kirsten Dunst's character and um, the Doctor, they're kind of it's first revealed that they're that they were in a relationship before, but they kind of cycled back on each other, or she cycled back on him to once again fall in love with him, and then uh, again with Joel and Clem more they cycled on each other back to falling in love with one another. How do you, how do you feel that benefits the film? I mean, it's, it once again just shows that love is repetitive. It's the same thing over until you get tired of each other or until you have kids. Really <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, hot take. Um, Not really. <laughs> yeah, we That's hate children. Yeah, fuck them kids. Amen. Keep that in, Andre. I'm keeping that in. I thought I had a question. It might have gone away. I don't remember what movie it was about. Oh, well, no. Andreas has presented. Oh, I have. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, okay, I do have a comment. Um, I think the doctor was a little too old for her, but you do you, sis. <laughs> First, he so, was um, someone who's 30 years older than her, so you do you, I guess. <laughs> oh, oh Florence Pugh, yeah, yeah, she's doing that. Next. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the existential crises present in The Master. So I touched on this before in Plot and Characters, but I think the ending is something that should make every person reflect on themselves. Because Philip Seymour Hoffman tells Joaquin Phoenix's character that once he leaves that room, he's no longer part of the cause. He, he doesn't want anything to do with him, and he never wants to see him ever again. Right, that's Lancaster Dodd too. Yeah, well. I really, I really wasn't expecting that, honestly. Well, what when you look at it is that Lancaster Dodd basically realized that Freddie Quill is a very self-destructive man, 
especially it when he's following him, somebody. It took him long enough. It took him long enough. Yeah, he basically, oh and that, I think that also was from pushing from his wife. He is, he, there's a scene towards the middle of the film where they're having a discussion where they, they want to excise Freddy from the cause because they yeah. see him as this guy who's basically going to bring in the undoing of it. But it's it's through hanging out with Freddy that Lancaster warms up to him. But they go a considerable amount of time without each other. So maybe it's implied that through that Lancaster changed his mind or he had, he was more easily influenced. Right. So what he says is essentially that once you learn to live without a master, come back and tell me. And I think that should make everybody reflect on who sees that movie, because maybe we're all Freddie Quill to varying degrees where we need a master and we're at the heel of people who have that charisma to be that master. Any questions for Andreas? Wait, before, think, before we get into the final really, part. I think, oh, sorry. I was uh, going to say, I think everyone is really hitting points in this debate. Like, I, I just want to pat you guys on the back because it's like, I'm not having any questions because a lot of the things that I was concerned about yeah, is being addressed. True. Yeah. Uh, I had a question for you guys, the moderators, because I, I know all of you gave the master three stars. I would like to know why that is. All right, let me go first. Um... I really don't know. I just didn't care for it. Okay, I'm sorry. That's fair. Yeah, it's it's a film but, that that can lose you. That's that's his film. That's PT Anderson for you right there. Like but a lot of scenes I was intrigued. Some of them did draw me in, but like then it cuts to a different scene and I just kind of lose interest. But that's just me. But I think it was really well really really well acted. <laughs> really really well. <laughs> I can't talk today, y'all. Really well acted. And shot. It was beautiful. So, but that, that's all I got. So I I think... So I agree with Cam with a lot of the scenes were very, very intriguing and did catch my attention. I think the mainest like problem for me... Mainest? That's not a word. <laughs> I can't really um, I think the biggest problem for me was the fact that how much of a slow burn it is, mm-hmm. and I have the attention span burn. of a fly. Um, I literally cannot stay on something, and it was just really, really difficult. How and I like did not like it, but then the end really sold it to me. Like the last, where like I think it's just like when everything clicked that this entire this is an entire cult and everything. I was like, oh. Okay, <laughs> this is... Uh-oh. Well, uh-oh. I think to add on to that is that I think with a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's films, they focus more on the technical aspect of the acting, the writing, and the directing over sometimes actual entertainment factors. So that's why I think you know some scenes can lose you while some scenes can engage you. It's That's just a common criticism rallied against his work. But I still think um. it's great. I yeah. really, I really liked the scenes where um, Freddie was just running into the wall over and over <laughs> yes, again. Yes, I love that montage. Making out with the window, that was very funny. You just like because he yelled at Rami Malek. Yes, I was like, all I homies hate Rami Malek. I also <laughs> would like Why? to do that. Why do you just, hate Rami Malek? I don't. I hate oh, his does? stupid face. I hate his stupid <laughs> face and his stupid teeth and his stupid big eyeballs. <laughs> I love you, Mr. Robot. Do not cut that out. I want him to uh, hear no, it. I'm keeping that, but um, I love <laughs> I love him, Mr. Robot. He's fantastic in that movie. In yeah, that, that show, care. that show, mm, that movie. Yeah, I don't care. All right. PJ, what, did, what were your thoughts on The Master? 
Um, well, in my review, it says they gave it a six. But after I wrote the review, I was like, you know what? So get at the other movies, I gave a six. And I was like, yeah, this is more of a seven. So I moved it up to a seven. <laughs> I, um, I do that. Yeah. I just didn't update the review. Um, Looking at it. What? So you, you specified in your letterbox review that you really enjoy Eternal Sunshine and you wanted to not let anybody... Oh, yes. Can you elaborate on that? I... I'm going to be honest, right? Five minutes into the movie, they're on the train talking to each other. I'm like, this is the end of the movie, right? <laughs> I just, it felt so predictable. It just, it felt so predictable. I did not predict that. When I, I, was, I, was ups- I was kind of upset that what I thought was going to happen was going to happen. Usually I'm not, but I was like, it wasn't even like I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, okay, this is how it's playing out. I would recommend yeah. the movie to people. It's definitely deserving of a rewatch. 100%. I just... I don't know, man. True. Just, that's fair. I just didn't think you it know. was... You don't know, man. <laughs> no, I mean, that's fair. Like... No, I know that it wasn't for me. And it just... It seemed... I might just not be big brain enough. Or I might have just be too brain. Too big. Too you watch Rick and Morty, don't you? You're big brain. Heck I do no. watch Rick and Morty, but I don't use Reddit every day, so that might be where the discrepancy that's where is. Where that's why you don't have a girlfriend right there. Because I don't use Reddit? Yeah. PJ, I'll tell you how to get a girlfriend. Just go on meatspin.com. <laughs> no. Oh my. No. Just do it. And then we'll anyways. Anyways. What is that? Just go on it, man. <laughs> What is it? Uh, Meatspin.com. I'm scared. Wait, are you on incognito, by the way? Yeah. Okay, good. Literally, I'm not keeping this in the podcast. I want to hear a reaction. Meatspin. Wait, how do you. Which meat is it? Meatspin.com. M E A T. Type of M E A T. You know. M E A T. It's S P I N. I N dot com. This episode is so long. This is already at an hour and 22 minutes. Oh, wait, that's kind of cute, though. Thank you. Anyway, I don't think you went on the red right website. <laughs> anyways, anyways, okay, um, so impact, right? We're on impact. Yeah. No category. Moving on to impact. Da-da-da-da. All right, who's going first for impact? Um, rock paper scissors. Uh, Andres. No, okay, okay. So the impact <laughs> for the master is that I think it's a very solid drama, but also in this current age of film, where it only came out, like, what, eight years ago? So it's fairly recently, but in this current age where most studios feel comfortable funding very, like, adaptation movies, either remakes, sequels... I'm tired of it. Yeah, to to an extent, I am too. But I think that when you propose a film within the original concept, studios get very cold feet. But with The Master, I think it's proof that you can make an, like, an artistically fulfilling film and also make it very good. And I think pleasing to 
most filmgoers to an extent. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't like a big success. It wasn't like a huge success, but I, I did make it did make enough money to, you know, make back its budget. So I think that the impact that the master has is to forward more challenging films in this current age of superhero movies and remakes and what have you. Maybe more cult films too. Yeah, well, with cult films they come out. I agree. Wait, I what agree. do you mean, like cult classic film or this cult? Film? No, like you know, cults like oh, Scientology. well, Scientology <laughs> kind of runs Hollywood. You know, <laughs> Tom Cruise. But yeah, yeah, I I think that if you know we get more films analyzing that cult aspect because the thing that makes the master different from other cult movies is that you know they're always they're always portrayed like these cult leaders are portrayed as a charles manson type you know they're very they're charismatic but violent they're you know, they're just psychotic people they're so they're schizophrenics what have you but with the master lancaster dodd never was anybody he only like loses his temper twice in the movie but he's just a very calm guy which is how most cult leaders are like most, most of the successful ones, like L. Ron Hubbard was like that. He's a very calm and collected guy. Yeah. Every time you say that, I think you're saying Ron Howard. No, L. Ron <laughs> Hubbard. Any questions for Andres? Yeah, actually, I want a little bit of a clarification. Yeah. You're, I, unless if I just missed it, which is entirely possible. That's okay. The, what you were just discussing about the cult movies, how exactly is that an impact? Is it just, is like, it's leading the way for future cult movies? Like oh, no, no. Cam just brought it up, and I just I just elaborated on okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Like, maybe, like, more, it'll bring up more, or it has... More taboo films, it. because I think I think films should be taboo, to an extent. I, I right, think films I, should not be afraid to tackle those subject matters that we don't feel comfortable tackling. I love those movies. They're so fun. Yeah, that's why I like Cats so much. <laughs> Me too. John, Impact. Of Eternal I mean, Sunshine. Basically the same thing. I especially think that Eternal Sunshine is extremely influential regarding films that choose to follow a non-linear storytelling approach. That's really it. Well, any questions for John? Yeah, John. You there? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, how do you feel uh, Eternal Sunshine impacted or influenced future romance movies in Hollywood? I feel like Eternal Sunshine... Is a deeper romantic film than many others, not only just in its storytelling elements, but in its depiction of relationships. I feel like it's just a lot more realistic than you normally see. That's true. It's and it like dives more into like the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. Any more questions for John? How do you think Charlie Kaufman in general has impacted the film industry? Not just the Turtle Sunshine. Yeah, but like I think Turtle Sunshine is just a continuation of what he's done with his career, a very original uh, movies that examine the, you know, the human experience on a deep level. Oh yeah. That's, that's really, that's really it. Just he, like, that's what I want to like, uh, I feel like he gives screenwriters more inspiration to, like you said, make films more based on the human experience and the truth behind a lot of things, as opposed to mm-hmm. not necessarily dumbing it down for audiences in Hollywood, but more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, do you think movies have become much have become much more weird since Eternal Sunshine? Not really. Or like not not like less afraid to become weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the weirdness weirdness barrier mm-hmm. down quite a lot. 
And I feel like a lot of creative minds in Hollywood aren't so much there anymore for the creative artistic expression as opposed to the money that's involved with it. I agree. Yeah. I feel like creativity has declined quite a lot. But so um, David Lynch. Amen. But have y'all... Okay. Completely off topic. Have y'all been watching his daily weather reports? What? He's no. doing that? What? The cutest things ever, but he literally looks like a skeleton. He looks so old and it makes me so sad. Sorry, I just had to say that. Y'all should watch them. They're really cute. Okay, any more questions for Impact? Okay, awesome. So I think it's scoring time. I believe it is scoring time. It is. So um, I'm calling first. I'm I'm calling first. I don't think. I don't think Rayma's been last yet, so there you go. Yeah, perfect. I'll keep track of points. So yeah. So first up, plotting characters. This one, oh my god, all of these were <laughs> were tough. But both movies very clearly have are very character driven. Obviously, the master being about just the journey of. I, I want to call him Arthur Fleck. I want to call him Arthur Fleck. <laughs> he's, no he's, he's a more he's Arthur, Arthur Fleck. Fleck for a more intelligent man. Arthur, are you saying Joker isn't for the intelligent? Oh my god. Maybe. You know what, Andres? I've You're I've right. had enough of your Joker slander during this episode. Oh, no. I didn't want to say anything because this was the master versus eternal sunshine. But I'm I'm tired of it. The Joker is a good movie. It, it's, 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 a good all, movie. it's all right. I just I just don't buy the hype behind it. I just don't think it's like the best movie of the year. Joker. It's not the best movie of the year at I all. I really no. enjoyed Joker. It's less than okay. It's think, less than okay. I think, I think it's okay. Cam, you like cats. Your opinion. I, I Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not go there. Andreas, um, this is when I change my Joker review on. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I'm going to go look what you said. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Don't change it. Don't change it. It's like a four star. It's like four and a half stars. <laughs> don't change it. Do whatever you want. I'm just curious right now. Hold on. Where'd you go? <laughs> Where are you? Okay. Did you delete it? What's there? It's not here. No, 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 no you I didn't. I didn't about. write an actual thing. I did oh, four it. stars and a heart. Wow. What did I give this idea of four stars? A heart. What's your take? Controversial. Don't do that. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait. So, okay. Joker. We should do Joker in a later episode, but yeah. No. No. I, I won't be a part of it. Everyone versus the <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like in terms of the actual argument, uh, I feel like John just presented the general message behind Eternal Sunshine better. Like, it just, it felt like, like Eternal Sunshine just had... The idea of love very romantically driven and message heavy. I feel like he presented that in a way that I just didn't see with the master. So my point goes to John for the first one. Okay. Well, it's my turn. Both arguments were very well um, presented, but I have to go with Andreas because the way that he talked about the characters, it seemed like he really dove into them every time he watched the movie and he knows like every bit about them and it even taught me some things 
So that yep, goes like Amy Adams' character is not committing incest in that movie. See, I don't know why I thought that. Maybe because they both had red hair, but no, they didn't. Oh, the the daughter, yeah, she. I think no, she had like okay. yeah, she had red hair. Y'all, maybe I'm just going crazy. Maybe I'm losing my mind. Watching too many David Lynch films. Exactly, but um, yeah, that one's got to go to Andreas. But John, you did great too. So, oh uh, fuck, this is diff- okay. I think I have to go with Andres with this one because I mean, most of the points were said, but I also just Andres just really went for it. It's like I think both of you guys made really good, like great points, but I think I mean everything was just said for with Cam. So yes. All right, next category. Yeah. So round one goes to Andres two to one. Round two, acting. So, this one hurts me. This one hurts me. Because you all know. You all know I love Jim Carrey. Me too. But can just... You, can you just say pizza boy? Yeah, no. I'm going, I'm going with Andres because just the idea... I, I didn't... It didn't really... The image of him both physically and emotionally like Joaquin putting himself entirely in the role. I didn't realize it. But the verbalization of it by Andreas really cemented that in my head. That's why I'm giving him the point. Um. Okay, this is tough. Because both were really good and all actors are great. I also have to go with Andreas. Just because the way he explained the acting was spot on. John, John's description was great too. I think everyone in Eternal Sunshine was perfect for their role. So yeah. Can I um but Rama before you go, I would just like to clarify that uh when Cam says I think all actors are great, uh James Corden is not included in that statement. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're all aware that the <laughs> ticket snubs podcast does not endorse the acting come career on. of James hey, Corden. How dare we James no, no, Corden no, 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 should not no, no, be considered no, no. an actor. Hold he is a late night up. TV hold show up. host. Hold up. How can you say that? Because we all believed him when he was driving that car in California. Wait, what are you what are you referring to? Oh my god. So so okay, so a picture came oh, out right, right. in the car and someone's drag someone's no, he's not even driving. It was it was a sad day. We all he, 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 how dare you say that when he acts like he's driving, he has his hand on the steering wheel, he's singing. I should have known because he's never looking at the road. <laughs> he's not a good actor because of that is very disrespectful. I'm saying he's not a good actor, just it. No, he's when I not say, a good actor. when I say all actors, I mean just the actors presented in the movies that we talk about today. All right, good, good. Yeah, hey, I James Corden made a cameo in The Master. Did he actually? Yeah, he was the guy under the 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 sand woman. But are you joking? I'm, I don't know. I'm if you're completely joking. joking. Oh. Can you imagine okay. walking in Phoenix hump the sand person with James Corden under it? My mouth just dropped. I was like, oh my god, walking in Phoenix hump James <laughs> Okay, no, I don't mean all actors, because obviously not every actor is good, like Rami Malek. Okay, that's debatable. Let's, let's, uh... Okay, 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 good. Okay, so I am gonna give it uh, I really, John, I love you, man. I gotta give it to Andres, though, because really, 
I, I really enjoyed the fact that you mentioned the fact that um, Joaquin Phoenix really does take charge for whatever role he has. Like, it, like it's like it's hard for me to believe that that's the same Joaquin Phoenix from The Master, the same one from her, the same. No, they're all loners. <laughs> that's the common thread. Hey, yeah, what are you trying to say about Joaquin Phoenix? He's good at okay. playing loners because he is a loner. Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. I don't know, guys. Joaquin Phoenix is just so handsome. He's a weird dude. He's, he's so attractive. Anyways, Andres, you get the point. Thank you. All right, next category. I'm going to make this one short and sweet. Uh, technical category. I'm giving it to John. I just, those transitions, man. Chef's kiss. You know it. Um, I also have to go with John because the way that he explained how it's like, a reoccurring thing like it's just one big loop and the cinematography is i personally believe way more beautiful um and eternal sunshine and the way that john described it was spot on so that one goes to john is john even here he hasn't talked in years john okay hey next <laughs> rima rima hey, mr john gets it do you want to elaborate? All right. or? Yeah. <laughs> Just because. No, I think I think um PJ and Cam explain. Like this is, I understand why no one wants to go last now. Exactly. Everyone gets their point. All right. All right. So uh number four, the existential crisis emotional. I'm gonna be honest, I'm looking at my notes. And for Andres, I just wrote, wow, just. So I'm, I guess I'm giving it to Andres. I don't know what, I don't remember what I was thinking. I just thought I was thinking, wow, just. Do I elaborate so, on that or? I, I, I wish I would have. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he did. It's just, wow, just. Wow. just. <laughs> I got to go with John because the way that he explained how love is portrayed in the film. It's literally just people getting tired of each other until they have kids or something. I hit too close and to home. That really, that's stuck in my head. And it's right. That is what is portrayed in eternal sunshine. And I never really thought of it. I, I knew that they were tired of each other, but I thought they like they, I don't know. I I just have to give it to John because he explained it perfectly. Like that a more optimistic outlook on the film. Yeah, I was gonna give yes. it to John, yes. and then it was gonna be the exact reason Cam said it, and he, like because because yeah, it is. It does show a great portrayal of a couple that's together for really long, and they get tired of each other, but they want to make it last. Yeah, um, it, when I first watched it, sorry to cut you off. When I first watched sorry. it, I was like. I thought it was like a positive, uplifting film for some reason. I don't know how. No, yeah, I, I see it as an uplifting film too. Personally, I see it as an uplifting but, film. But later on, I was like, "This is heartbreaking and literally so accurate." So that's what I think. Rayma, I'm sorry. Keep going. All right, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I had the roughest time when I watched that movie for the first time. Yeah. Um. But I it it helped me a lot, so yeah, understandable. All right, 
next category. All right, the final category. Just so um, we are all on the same page here. Round one went to Andreas 2-1. to one. Round two went to Andreas 3-0. But round three went to John 3-0. And round four went to John 2-1. and one. So right now it's 2-2. Two and two, So this one decides it. Okay. It always comes down to the last one. It always comes down to the last one. Wow. <laughs> so the impact of the film. Now, uh, both sides definitely did a really good job at presenting the idea that both films break the mold in generally like the, block, the blockbuster age of Hollywood that we're in. All of these crazy CGI, pew, pew, you know what I'm so, saying? Except for cats. Cats is art. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm done about I'm done talking about cats. No, I'm done talking cats about cats. Is, cats we is all we save cats for the cats episode. We cats. save cats for the cats episode. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a cats episode, by the way. If you guys didn't know at home, we don't know there what cats is going not. up against and If yet. there is, I will not be. There is one. Yeah, we have one I can, on I can get my friend on. We, we could get our first guest for that one. Oh, can we? That'd be awesome. He he very much wants to be on an episode. Okay. Is he a fan? Uh, I don't think he knows what the name of it is yet. Carson's a fan. I'll invite her. No, a fan. On. A fan of cats. I meant. Oh uh, yeah, it's with him. He Carson, fell asleep for half an hour. Carson oh, okay. is not a fan of cats. So <sighs> it's tragic. Right. What were we talking about? Uh, impact. Uh, the impact. Yeah. The final category about like CGI so, movies and stuff. So yeah, both sides present that they both break the mold in the blockbuster age of high budget. Uh, bright colors, ooh, flashy lights, money, money. But I feel like John did a better job of elaborating onto it by discussing the idea of like the realistic portrayal of relationships along with the furthering of nonlinear st- storytelling in the modern age. And I wrote straight up for my last bullet point, so straight up going to John. Okay, this is this is really tough. I've been playing it out in my head, thinking... I have to give it to John also because the way that romance films are now, they're so boring. They're so cliche, stupid, lame, pathetic, but eternal sunshine, it brought on something new and we see the dark, nasty sides of the relationship that make you just want to rip your heart out, throw it in a trash can and cry. Yes, and mm-hmm. John described it perfectly, and the film does that perfectly too. And I want, I want more films like that today, and I hope it happens soon. So that one goes to John, Rayma. Rayma. Everything was said for me, so <laughs> I, I literally don't know what else to say. But uh, yeah, John, John, John the man, Johnny. Here's Jonathan. John. Jonathan. Papa yeah. Jonathan. It's funny because no, his name no, is John. No, no, not, not that one. Oh, his, his name is just John? Yeah. That's so cool. I think, right? Yeah, no, I'm not. That's so cool. <laughs> okay, anything else? All right, so I think with that, um, round five goes to John, making John... The winner of episode three of Ticket Snubs. Oh my god, two times. Oh my god, he's won twice. Second time champion. John, what 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 do you have to say for yourself? I don't deserve it. <laughs> oh my John, John you deserve it because you were prepared. I'm going to show up as a furry. Look what you did, John. 
Goodness. Both arguments were great, though. I was sitting here just nodding my head. John, yes, yes. Yeah, there John, was a lot. John, you were fantastic. Andres, yeah. you were fantastic. Both of you were fantastic. Yeah, I agreed on, like, everything. So, so Something I want to say about this whole thing is that um, I think Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a superior film by a long shot. So, yeah. I agree. This is much Me more creative. I, I, love, I love the creativity with the mind stuff they do. Personally. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm a complete simp. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, ha, ha. Shut up, PG. Right. You don't go on Reddit every day. Oh, so, uh, with that, Andres, I think it's time for your movie recommendation. My movie week. recommendation. Okay, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I was between two films. But I, I'm going to go with this one, because I think it's one you're going to like. It's a mystery film. It's not in English, so I hope you guys don't mind subtitles. I do not mind one bit. Okay, it's on, it's on Netflix. And it is called Burning. It is a South Korean film. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Three John, hours. John, have you seen it? Uh, no, it's like two years ago. Three hours? That's mm-hmm. No, it's, it's two and a half hours long. Oh, that's so uh, But it goes by um, so quickly. I've wanted to watch this for maybe about two years now, since whenever it came out, but I do know the ending, unfortunately. Is this the movie with Stephen Yeun in it? Yes, it is. It stars. <laughs> it, it is a Korean film, but it does have Stephen yeah. Yeun from The Walking Dead in it. Yes. So and I just I I love foreign films personally because I think it, it sheds a new light on our understanding of films. So I I just want to recommend a very very great foreign film that is also extremely well written. Well, I'm excited and well acted. Yes, it's 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 a great mystery film. Mm-hmm. I got spoiled the ending and I'm sad. That's I'm what? sorry, John. Hopefully, what hopefully year? when you watch the film, you'll you'll still appreciate it. That's that's what I want you to get from it. What yeah. year is the film? Uh, it was released mm-hmm. in 2018. So it's a recent oh, okay. film. I can't watch it. It's on Netflix. Oh, okay. I don't think I've watched Stephen Yun and any. Actually, no, no, no. He wasn't sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, I was about to say. We can talk about that on the podcast. That, I'm sorry than, to bother you. I hated it. That, I hated I it a lot. Haven't watched him since The Walking Dead when they killed off Glenn. Which I'm still very, very, very angry about. He's a very likable uh, actor. That's what I I'm going to say. I think that's a good time to, like, you know, close out. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you all for watching. Have an excellent time. I hope you all enjoy burning, both the ticket snubs and the people watching at home. And uh, love that's each other. Wait, 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 wait. Peter has something to say. Yes. Uh, next, just a reminder, next episode is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, presented by yours truly, up against Rocky Horror Pictures, though, presented by Cam. That's going to be so hard. And so... <sighs> That's I ins- love both of those yes. movies, so yes. this is going to be but, an interesting one. PJ, now you know my my struggle. To say what? Oh, I do have something to say. Yes. Um, to uh, to stray somewhat from my normal outro, I would like to share that. Uh, thank you all for watching, and just a reminder that Bill and Ted Three: Bill and Ted Face the Music releases August twenty first, two thousand twenty, in the U S. Very oh true. Is it VOD or in theaters? Uh, in theaters as of right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, uh, with that, support Keanu. Uh, support Keanu and uh, rock on, dudes. <laughs> Amen. Good night, everybody. We love you. <laughs> Good night, birds. Lady boys. Lady, Lady boys. Boy. Yeah.